is sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. We are going to end the international embarrassment of the United States of America, our great country, being the only major nation on earth not to guarantee health care to all as a right. I think spying on a political campaign is a big deal. It's a big deal. You're not suggesting, though, that spying occurred. I, I think there's a spying did occur. Yes, I think spying did occur. It starts with family and faith, or faith and family. And we need more of that. And then if you, if you don't restore the family, it's hard to correct any problem. It's hard to produce anything positive. And now, Stacey Washington. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for being with us. It's my pleasure to welcome you into Stacey on the Right. StaceyOnTheRight.com, American Family Radio is AFR.net, and UrbanFamilyTalk.com, a ministry of American Family Radio. And so we're so glad to be with you and to uh, get all of today's show going for you. Um, first off, I before we even get into the fantasticness that is today's program, I have to say I am literally fresh back from um, a luncheon here in St. Louis where we're talking about the work that has been done uh, to bring fewer abortions, fewer, um, fewer babies that have been destroyed um, in the state of Missouri. And we, it was such an interesting presentation. I, I, I have to say, I, when sometimes, you know, when you go to, you go to something and it's like, ah, you know, uh, that was interesting or, oh, you know, that was, that was nice. This was amazing. Um, and every time I go to one of these, it's amazing. I always leave inspired. I always leave feeling like God has really done an amazing work. And so I'm going to get into all of that. Um, I want to let you know we're going to have Brandon Darby on the show today. He's the director of Breitbart's Border and Cartel Chronicles. He's going to talk about the president's trip to the border yesterday. Uh, We're going to talk about Maxine Waters and her questioning of banking executives, another display of idiocy, morons in charge. And then we're also going to get to Reggie Bush saying that kids need parenting by a mom and dad. So, so, so non-PC, so ridiculously out of step with what the culture tells us. But he's telling the truth. Also, that 234 House Democrats and two Republicans came together to co-sponsor a bill forcing schools to let male athletes compete on girls' sports teams. Now, you might be thinking, what about Title IX? Well, what about it? I mean, I guess in this day and age, we just don't care about that. It's not a concern. So uh, we, we'll, we'll see what's going on there. Um, right now, I want to talk to you about activation. Now, activation, uh, to activate, what does that even mean? Um, the definition of activate is to make active, to cause, to function, or act. So basically, you have to, it's like turning something on. But in the, the instance that I'm speaking of, activation has to do with people that are watching you. So if you are living any kind of life, no matter what kind of life you live, there are people in your life and people on the very outer edges of your life who are looking at you and they're watching what you're doing. Now, I, do I mean they're watching you in this like uh, kind of crazy, uh, like a stalker way? Well, perhaps. But what I'm talking about is that they see what you're doing and they're either marveling at it they're maybe they're perplexed by it (laughs) maybe they're looking at you and they're taking their cues from you 
And so out of your entire circle of people, the ones you think about and the ones you know they're actively interacting with you and all of those who are on the periphery, you have no idea they're watching you. You have no idea they have any interaction with you at all, but they are watching you, observing you and taking cues from you. I want to talk about activating those people. Now, first off, why would I want to talk about activating people that maybe aren't close enough in relationship with you for you to even kind of care about? Well, activation activating the people who are near you, who can see you, et cetera, the ones who are out in the periphery and those who are closest to you, it's just another word for discipleship. And so the example that we're setting, whether it's a good one or a bad one, influences the people who are around us. So Isaiah 43, one says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. Now, when God says something like that to, and obviously he's talking to Jacob, but he's also talking to us. He's, he's got that same message for every single one of us. So he formed you, he created you, he called you by name, he's redeemed you, and you are his. So that's the first thing. If our mind is set on that and we know we are his, it will change the way we behave, it will change our actions, and it will give us a superpowered charge of courage and strength and the ability to speak out in situations where our voice is needed to be heard not just in our workplace or in our home, but in the culture, in the culture that we're all swimming in it. And you know, the worst thing about us swimming in it is that means our kids are swimming in it. And so all of the degradation, the lies, the the move towards socialism and infanticide and the move towards devaluing life, all of those things are what we're all swimming in. And it's the reality that we pass on to our kids. So the reality that I'm passing on to my kids as they go into adulthood is that abortion is lawful in this land, that we've aborted 16 uh, 16 million blacks and 60 million people. And I used to, I I remember giving a speech, um, I don't know, maybe like nine or 10 years ago, where I said we'd aborted 18 states worth of people. Well, actually, that number is now, it's grown. We've now aborted 24 states worth of people. If you take the population of the states and you add them up and total them, you get 24 states worth of Americans who are missing because they were aborted in the womb. Now, you're, you might be thinking, well, I'd, how do I activate someone when I'm, I'm afraid to say things about pro-life or I just don't want to, I don't want to start stuff or this, this makes me uncomfortable. We should be uncomfortable with the fact that abortion is the law of the land. We should be uncomfortable with the fact that this is what we have wrought and we're living in it and we're swimming in it and it is us, that that's what we pass on to our kids. And the question is, do we want to win on this issue for the kingdom, not for Stacy on the right or, you know, this one or that one or you, but for the kingdom so that Jesus Christ's fame can be heard in the nations? Do we, do we want to win it for that? Do we want to win it for the unborn babies who are being ripped apart in the womb? Do we want to win it for life, for what God said about each and every one of us? It's not just the numbering of the hairs on the head or the numbering of the tears or being close to us when we're brokenhearted. It's not just when two or more of us are gathered together in his name, he's there in our midst. It's not just that. It's that before he formed the deep, he knew us. He knits us together in our mother's womb. And while he's doing the knitting, we have abortionists here, beam me up, Scotty, sucking the babies out. And that's 
permissible. It's lawful. It's paid for by taxpayers. You are condoning it whether you want to or not, because if you pay taxes, your money is going to Planned Parenthood, too. And we are all complicit in it unless we're fighting it. And so if that is what we're we're swimming in, if that's what we're living in, it has to be our aim that we would do away with that before we go on to to meet our maker. Right. We, We want to end that now. But the only way we do it is if we feel confident that Jesus Christ lives in us and we have his courage, we have his mind, we have his mouth, we're able to speak the truth because he is in us. Then we can do all things. So Galatians 5.1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And so if when Christians are sitting up with their hands folded and abortion is the law of the land and we don't speak out against it, we're in bondage. We've allowed the enemy to tell us, you can't speak out about that. You can't say anything about that. They won't like you. The the next time they have a Christmas gathering or or a cocktail party, or you won't be able to sit with them at the ball game. They won't won't acknowledge you. They're not going to want to spend time with you anymore. If you say that, that you're going to get put out. You're going to get set out. You're not going to be, you, you won't be welcome. And the answer to that is, of course, when God calls you to something, when he says, speak my truth, which is what is happening right now. If you're listening to me right now, you are meant to hear that you are supposed to be telling the truth about the sin of abortion. And you're supposed to be activating those in your network so that they would speak the truth about it so that there would be no one who could say, well, I wasn't really sure if it was okay. They know it's wrong. They're on the side of the wrong or they're on the side of the right. And it's not really, it's right or wrong. It's Satan or God. It's what's good. It's what's evil. It's, there are no in-between places. But when we sit by silently with our hands folded and we're too afraid to speak, the enemy wins. And God can't use us if our mouths are sewn shut. So one more time, this is what God says to us in Galatians 5.1. He says, stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. Does he say, you know, sit there with your mouth shut and allow evil to reign? You are in bondage and you don't have anything to say that's good. And you also are not allowed to speak. No. And it's not the purview of any one person. It's not because, you know, this person is doing a radio show or that person writes a column. This one leads a Bible study and they're the only ones who can speak. No, it's you too. You are also required to speak the truth. You are not only required to speak it, but you are required to live for that truth until such a time as God sees fit to bring it to an end, this this scourge that we live in, which is uh, abortion on demand in America. And so I, I cut that off. Stand fast, therefore, at the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be at- entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And so it's as simple as saying, because you, you can't ask me what God wants you to do. I have no idea. But you can ask him. You can say, Lord, what do you want me to do? I'm, you know, my ministry is where I live. It's where I work. I haven't been saying much. You know, he's not going to have you on the corner yelling with a, a, a megaphone uh, at traffic driving by. He's, it, it's not a, a situation where you basically say, I'm going to start telling the truth about it. And you lose every friend and you become a pariah. Oh, no, that's not how our God works. I, I, I may have shared, but let, let me share again. If you're just tuning into the show. Years ago, when I was on, uh, I was actually volunteering a lot in our kids' school district, and we had a, just a ton of friends. 
And I was known for running the kindergarten social and, and the first grade social. And we had kindergarten moms, uh, first grade moms, third grade moms, whatever moms, my, whatever kids grade I was in, I was in with the moms. And we used to go out and, and go to each other's houses. And we used to do a lot of stuff together. And their kids were in my minivan and at our house all the time. And then when I served on the strategic planning committee, um, I, still, it's an apolitical thing. You're in the school district. And then I got appointed to school board. And then I ran for the seat and I lost. And at people's doors, when I would knock and ask them to vote for me, they'd say, are you a Democrat or Republican? And I'd say, school board's nonpartisan. And they would say, it may be nonpartisan, but I need to know what you're going to do when you get on school board. And I'm like, I'm already on there. And they're like, yeah, but I didn't vote for you that time. If I'm going to vote for you, I need to know if you're with me or if you're with them. And so I would say, I'm a Republican. And some people slammed the door in my face because they were Democrats and they would never vote for me because I was a Republican. And so, again, I lost that seat by 455 votes, I think. Spoke at Tea Party Under the Arch and started doing political stuff and then ran for the seat again and got put back on the school board. But it was a totally different situation because people had heard me speaking you know, about pro-life issues. They'd seen that I'd been hanging out with Tea Party type folks. And some folks who used, their kids literally knew the inside of my van just as well as they knew their, their mom's van. They, there were no more invites. But around the same time that all of this is, is going on, I meet a lady. She's still my friend to this day. I love her and her husband and their kids. They're, they are deep personal friends of ours. I met her at a legislator's house for a legislative update, and I was saying how I would just wished I could be in a book club with conservative-minded women because all of my friends were liberals, and they read fiction, and I wanted to read nonfiction political. And she said, I believe God placed us here together because, hi, my name is so-and-so, and I'm in a book club just like that, and you're going to come with me. We, we meet back up, and she told me when, and I met back up with her, and it was almost like an instant transformation because the less phone calls I got from our old friends— as they be, it, word began to spread that we weren't, we're black, but we weren't Democrats. The new friends, it just was an, a replacement. Our God is good. He does not give you pain for obedience. Now, persecution is the way of Christians. We are never going to be able to escape that because we live as Jesus did and he was persecuted. He died for us. But God is good and he is able to make you, if you're willing to be, obedient. He's willing to make you able to walk in obedience for him. So there is no excuse. I want to activate you. Not for me. I don't get any credit. I get no credit. Jesus Christ is the one who paid for it all. He did it all. His The sin debt is paid by him and God gets the glory, but be activated. You can go forward and speak the truth in love and spread the truth in your circle. We'll be back with more right after this. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, we took the spices that we'd prepared and we went into the tomb. We found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When we went in, we didn't find the body of our Lord Jesus. Who took him? Where is he? Who took him? Why do you look for the living among the dead? Where's Jesus? He's not here. He has risen. Jesus was alive. He's alive. Jesus was betrayed, abandoned, mocked, beaten, and then crucified on a cross for sinners like you and me. The Son of God was buried, 
and after three days, he rose from that grave. Urban Family Talk encourages you to rejoice in the glorious reality that our God is a living God. Hi, I'm Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. I suppose just about every family has endured some sibling rivalry, and our family is no exception. I remember when our kids were younger, there was sort of a, a jockeying for parity. They seemed to be looking over their shoulders, constantly wondering who was getting attention or who was getting more or where they were in relationship to everybody else. Boy, are we glad they grew out of this. But some of us never grow out of our tendency to compare or evaluate where we are based upon where others are. In fact, occasionally I have to fight that in myself. Our world is laden with competition. We want to get ahead and we're constantly looking over our shoulders and comparing ourselves with others. On top of that, sometimes it appears that the ungodly are doing better than the followers of Christ. We need to pay attention to these words from Psalm 37. Here's verse 7. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who carries out wicked schemes. Then verses 12 and 13. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes him with his teeth. The Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day is coming. Let me make three quick comments. First of all, we need to wait on God to give us what he has for us. We need to put to rest this comparison game. The second observation is to stop obsessing about what others have. The Lord is our portion. Rest in him. Relax. Then the third observation is this. God will take care of the wicked. Here's what I want you to remember today. Let's mind our own spiritual business. Rejoice in who we are and what we have in him. And let him take care of those other folks. More information about the ministry of Crawford Lorenz can be found online at livingalegacy.org. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, it is okay. So we we don't have our guests right now, so it's perfectly fine for us to um, go into this audio that I had for the first segment. But I got a little, uh, you know, I got into that first subject. So let's listen to number four. It's Reggie Bush. He's saying that kids need parenting by a mom and a dad. It's number four. But I will speak to my personal upbringing. Um, my real dad was not in my life growing up. And so uh, the, the, the foundation of why I wanted to be so great in the football field was because I wanted, <clears throat> I wanted to make my dad jealous, right? And I had this resentment and this aggression that I grew up with towards my real dad. And as I got older, I realized my dad never had his dad in his life. And I just posted something about this on Instagram the other day. And my dad met his dad for the first time five years ago. My dad's 53 years old. And, he, and my grandfather, my biological grandfather, who I still have never met to this day, has lived in L.A. this whole time. And so to me, we got to get back to the foundation at home <clears throat> with um, the parenting. And a lot of my boys I grew up with didn't have their dads. Um, a lot of guys that I knew in the NFL that I played with didn't have their dads growing up. So for me, I became, I, I learned from a lot of the men through football, right? Football ultimately became that father for me 
because that was where there were other men there. Now, the issue with that was that I'm learning from other men that are just as broken as me, right? And so I think a good start is getting back to the, the, the foundation of where kids are young and making them understand that, listen, just because you have a tough upbringing doesn't mean you can't go on to be successful. And I think if you start there with the parenting, because not having a man in your life to show you how to be a man, that has significant effects. And a lot of those effects have, have stuck with me up until my relationship, relationship with my kids and my wife. And so we'll get into a little bit more about the, the discussion that he's having there. Um, they were actually talking about Nipsey Hussle and the fact that he was gunned down after leaving the hood, becoming very successful, and then uh, coming back and doing some amazing things, like rebuilding the neighborhood, um, try, trying to change people's lives and, the, and their trajectory. And he was gunned down by someone that he knew well. And, and, and Reggie Bush is saying that it's jealousy and uh, envy and, and just the spirit of you made it and how dare you come back here and kind of put that in our faces. It's a, it's a sad story. Uh, but the, what they're talking about is they're telling the truth. And it's so odd to hear them saying these things because it's so un-PC. Like it's not allowed for people to say the kind of stuff that they just said. But it's amazing how certain people, when given an opportunity, they start telling the truth. And that truth just went out on that huge program. So we'll get back to that. Right now, I want to get to our guest. We have Brandon Darby. He's the director of Breitbart's Border and Cartel Chronicles. Brandon, thank you for joining us today. Hey, thank you for having me on. Hey, um, okay, so President Trump visited the border yesterday, and we've heard all of the stats. You, over at Breitbart, you guys are tracking this, and also at uh, a number, just in any number of places, anywhere where the truth can be found. We know that last month there were 74,000 people who entered the country illegally, and then uh, they're expecting... 100,000 this month. Next month, they're saying it could be as high as 130,000. This isn't just a crisis. It's a concerted effort to destroy our immigration system. What did you think about the president's uh, speech yesterday? Well, I mean, I, I tend to think the same thing about um, not only what the president's saying, really, but what, what Republican politicians are saying as a whole. I think the same thing about it. Um, uh, as I think every time they say pretty much the same thing. Uh, this is the cycle that we go through. We have um, we have one party, I think, who who's obviously sees this as future voters, and they don't want any security on the border. Um, a lot of them are calling to, to tear down the, the border barriers we do have. And then we have a Republican Party who, for the most part, every time there's an uptick, they come out, they're against illegal immigration, they're against what they call an invasion, and then when they get power, when they have the executive branch in both halls of Congress, they don't really do anything to change the, the, the laws and the loopholes that are encouraging people to come here in the first place, and then they wait till the Democrats are in power again, and then they get really critical and say it's the Democrats' fault. Uh, we go through this cycle. We've done this for many years now, right? Mm. Uh, so we're kind of in the same old cycle. That's what I think about what's going on right now. Okay, so you know what? <laughs> you just encapsulated the whole problem. Because I think sometimes uh -huh. in our zeal for talking about how the Democrats are currently obstructing anything from happening, we forget that uh, didn't the Republicans control Congress for eight years? They didn't have the executive. But when they did have all three parts for just two years, they couldn't get immigration done. They just couldn't get it done. Or I should say, maybe, Brandon, they wouldn't get it done. Well, but it's not just, it's not, um, not only did they, con 
Obviously, they controlled Congress most of the time under Obama, but but they had the first two years of Trump, and they still didn't get anything done. You know, like let let's just be straight. Like like here's what's going on, right? In a nutshell, this is the situation. In a nutshell, we're a very wealthy country uh, with a system that functions as imperfect as perfectly as it does function. It functions. Most of the nations south of us that we are talking about, whether it's Mexico or the Central American nations, they don't have a functioning system. They don't have 911 to call. Most of the uh, problems they're facing are a result of of corruption and, and transnational criminal groups. And when those people do call the police in those communities, they actually are calling the people who the, the police work for the transnational criminal groups, right? So people's mm-hmm. lives there are very miserable. We have policies in place that actually encourage people, whether they mean to or not, uh, they, our system, incur- our, our policies encourage people to come here uh, the way that they're coming. Um, that's a fact. There's no, if, if you have push factors coming from those countries and we have policies that say all you have to do is step on our border and request asylum and you'll get to stay for a while, and you might get to stay forever, and, and, and for that while that you get to stay, you're going to get free health care, and your kids will get educated. And if we have those policies, people in a bad situation are going to come here. Those policies have very little to do with President Obama, and they have very little to do with President Trump. Those policies have everything to do with the lawmakers in the House and in the Senate. That is, that is, that is who writes law. That is how this happens in this country. It is not about the president. The president works with what, what he is, uh, the, a, a certain framework, and that framework is, is largely, in this context, is determined by both, both, houses, both halls of Congress. So we're in a situation, once again, where Republicans had the executive branch with the president. They had the House and the Senate, roughly two years. None of them presented things to actually change and push for a change of immigration policy. Um, none of them did that. And so now it's the Democrats' fault that these guys didn't do what they said they were going to do for two years. They, they had the, the power to do it. Did they have a uh, perfect power? Did they have an absolute power? No, they didn't. But they didn't even submit bills to do it. They mm-hmm. didn't even submit bills to do it. And, and so, you know, for me, having covered this for nearly a decade of my life, and, and this is what I live and breathe, um, you know, cartels and border and the problems associated with borders as a whole and the, the economic disparity between our nations. And, and I, I've covered this issue long enough. I've seen politicians come and go. And I'm just telling you, listeners, they do the same thing every time. They, they talk tough on the border. They talk tough on immigration. They get in there and they don't change any policies. Democrats do the same thing. They talk tough about DACA and they want to do X, Y, and Z. Well, in 2009 and 10, they roughly, you know, they had, they, they did have the ability to do that with, uh, with Obama in the White House and with Congress. They didn't do it. They didn't change DACA. They had enough power to ram through uh, ACA, uh, what we call Obamacare, mm-hmm. but they didn't do anything about immigration and DACA. They didn't do anything uh, to, to resolve this issue. And then they wait till Republicans get in office, and then they start trying to submit bills and, and, and trying to talk about it and make a focus because they know the Republicans aren't going to do it, 
and it gives them a wedge issue to, to beat Republicans over the head with. Republicans are doing the same thing to their voters and to us that, Demo- that Democrat leaders did over DACA with their base they're do- and their voters. They're doing the same exact thing. They had two years with President Trump in the White House. They had the executive. They had both houses of Congress. They didn't do a dang thing. And now that the Democrats have the majority, it's the Democrats' fault. And and this is the, this is what both parties do. Like we're like we're idiots. They think we're idiots. And sadly, most of us fall right in line with it because we don't want to call out. It, you know, it's easier to say. Stop those migrants or those illegal aliens. Well, technically, they're not illegal aliens because our law says they can come here like that, and the law says that because Congress has failed. Uh, both parties have failed, okay? But mm. So they say, stop those migrants. Look at those migrants. Look what they're doing. Look what the Democrats are doing. And the truth is, if you were a migrant, if you were one of those people with your kid, you'd come here too, and so would I, right? It, 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 it's about our lawmakers, but it's easier to blame those people and it's easier to blame the other party than it is to acknowledge our own party's failures, right, and, and inability to, to take action. It's, it's, it's harder to, to, to blame the people whose side we're on than it is, than, uh, even though they're really the ones who deserve it. This is all about Congress. This is all about laws. And it's all about both parties being completely dishonest and disingenuous with the American public. Well, okay, so I can't I can't disagree with you. Um, I rarely think about what it would be if it was my family and I was living south of the border and I saw that there was a huge loophole that I could exploit. Um, I can't deny that probably I would be taking advantage of it too. I have railed against the people coming here. I'm sick of the crime. I'm sick of the the huge amount of money that we're spending overflowing public schools, all that stuff. I'm sick of it. Um, but I have also talked about how the Republicans have not done anything and how we have a huge we have a huge rift where they say one thing when they're running. But when they get there, the Chamber of Commerce lets them know, hey, this is your position. And Chamber of Commerce is on both sides. They're on the Democrats and the Republican side. As long as you're for open borders and cheap labor, then the Chamber of Commerce is your friend. And the few of them that actually do care about having a, a, a sovereign nation status and, and lawful immigration, they don't have the votes to get anything done. So I guess my question for you is because you, you totally ran that down perfectly. It's the truth. The Republicans are just as complicit in this as the Democrats are. Um, and, and I think it's even worse because we have a president like Donald Trump, who for the first time we actually have a president who would do something with our border, who would actually answer what he ran on, which is he ran on doing something about illegal immigration. He's trying to, but he doesn't have enough support to get it done. And so now they don't have the House anymore. Now they have a appropriate way of blaming the Democrats. And the Democrats are complicit in this, but so are the Republicans because they should have forced it through the way you, you said it, the way the Democrats forced Obamacare through. They should have forced something through. So what do we do now? Like, Because w- w- the system is at a breaking point at the southern border where we're basically just going to have an open border system here like shortly because we just don't have anything we can do lawfully, apparently. Well, we don't have anything we can do lawfully because people in Congress don't change the law. That's what the situation is. And so, again, I, you know, I understand it. I'm not an open borders guy. I believe in very strong borders for, for nations. I think it's important uh, for a, a large number of reasons. Uh, I think it's extremely important. Uh, at the same time, uh, the only thing that bothers me more than open borders is uh, and losing our sovereignty 
is seeing people I respect and trust uh, blame one side for a problem when when it's both sides at fault. It's really that bad. I mean, I, again, I, I see Republicans right now. They're coming out. They're having this strong view about the border. They're like, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. First off, I ain't heard anything from them in the last decade of my life that I've been screaming about this issue every day for most of those Republicans. And secondly, the ones, some of them have brought it up before, but they didn't submit any bills. I mean, you have some sincere people. You have people like uh, newcomer Chip Roy from Texas. He's a very sincere person, in my opinion. He's actually trying to put his money where his mouth is and uh, his, his legislating where his mouth is, you know, his legislative ability. Um, but, but for the most part, I mean, you know, these guys are they're really just as much to blame. They've had the last two years. I, you know, the, 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 the policies that uh, the inaction of the last two years is why we are, uh, and not just the last two years, but in specific when we're talking about Congress, right, and changing the law. The inactivity over the last two years is what brought us where we are today with these extremely high numbers. And I just don't, I just can't take anyone seriously who was in Congress for the last two years and, and didn't try to do anything about it. You know, it's their own fault. They ought to all get fired. I mean, if, if, if any of us performed this badly and had, you know, ha- if we had a job for two years and a responsibility and, and the results were this, we'd, fi- we'd be fired in a second. You know, we, we would put up with that for a second. So the more these guys point their fingers and speak loudly and put out press releases about illegal immigration and our border and our sovereignty. And uh, when they didn't do anything, I, make no mistake, this is happening for a lot of reasons. But, but the, the one thing that we actually have direct power over is making sure our laws do not encourage it and create pull factors on top of push factors that are not so easy to solve. And, and we haven't done that as a nation. No, one, no one's proposed, like, hey, here's the deal. Uh, if you come to our border uh, irregularly, illegally, in between ports of entry, if you come here and uh, you didn't apply for a, a, a visa in your nation of origin or another nation, then no matter who you are, where you're from, what you are, you're going home that same day. No, no questions asked. No one's proposed anything like that. And that's well, ultimately we what it's going to take. We're either going to do that or we're going to have this situation. We're either going to do that or we're going to have millions of people from around the world showing up. Our taxpayers, are, and God bless them, I understand why they're coming. But at the same time, I also understand that I pay a lot in taxes already. Like, I have mm. a child to take care of. Of I course. Have, uh, uh, Brandon, know, have, we're up we against the break here. Of, right? Yeah, we, we do. We're up against the break, and we so appreciate you coming on and giving your perspective, especially because you have been in this fight for so long. Thank you for your time today, Brandon Darby, director of Breitbart's Border and Cartel Chronicles. I'm Stacey Washington. We'll be right back. This is Uncommon Moments. Here's former Super Bowl-winning NFL coach Tony Dungy and his wife Lauren sharing from their book Uncommon Marriage. When I coached in Indianapolis, Lauren and I lived apart for about 18 months. It was tough. One of the biggest challenges for Lauren was trying to keep me connected with the kids. She had to be creative to make it work. Our love and commitment to each other and our family brought us through. But that's not to say those months were fun. Often our love had to be sacrificial. Both of us needed patience and stamina. With Christ at the center of our home, we committed our family to prayer 
even if it was just a quick prayer on the phone. Prayer should be a priority. For Tony and me, it's the key to a strong marriage. Tony and Lauren Dungy, authors of Uncommon Marriage, learning about lasting love and overcoming life's obstacles together. Discover more at CoachDungy.com. Abraham Hamilton III. Don't you realize when you see some of the inner workings of the cell, with each component having its role to play, where you have soldiers and you have operators, you have little machines that are working, if the Lord would do that with something as micro and as undetectable by the natural eye as the cell, how much more will He provide for you? The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is coming June 20th through 22nd. Learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. Pastor Joseph Parker. You know, obviously when things are going well, it's much easier to have an attitude of thanksgiving and praise to the Lord. But even when things are going difficult, it's important to know too, there's never a time it's inappropriate for us to thank and praise God. Now some may ask, well, what about when you're going through difficult times, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death? We can have two different responses. We can worship or we can whine. Tune in to the Hour of Intercession, weekday afternoons at 1 Central on Urban Family Talk. This is Poll Perry with Fox News Director of Polling, Dana Blandon. Ready or not, the 2020 presidential campaign is here. Actually, it kind of started more than two years ago. Donald Trump filed the paperwork to run for re-election on his inauguration day. That was January 20th, 2017. So after waiting over two years, we did some hypothetical head-to-heads on our Fox News national poll, testing the more widely known Democratic candidates against Donald Trump. Right now, the president edges both Kamala Harris and Elizabeth Warren by two points. He narrowly trails Bernie Sanders by three points. Trails Joe Biden by seven. Biden's lead is just outside the poll's margin of error. A couple of things stand out. Support for Trump stays between 40 and 42 percent in each of the matchups, not where he wants it to be. Plus, some who backed him in 2016 aren't yet convinced he deserves a second term. Between 11 and 15 percent of Trump voters are undecided or would back the Democratic candidate. I'm Dana Blanton, and that's your poll Paris. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Today, there are more than 44 million Americans that owe, this is student loan crisis, 1.56 trillion in student loan debt. Last month, this committee received testimony that last year, 1 million student loan borrowers <coughs> defaulted, which is on top of the 1 million borrowers who defaulted the year before. What are you guys doing to help us with the student loan debt? Who would like to answer first? Mr. Monahan, Big Bang. Uh, we stopped making student loans in 2007 or so. Oh, so you don't do it anymore, Mr. Corbett? We exited student lending in 2009. Mr. Diamond? When the government took over student lending in 2010 or so, we stopped doing all student lending. And then she changed the subject and went on to a different topic because she did not know as a sitting member of Congress. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, oh, I didn't know that. Because if you don't have kids who are taking out student loans, then you don't know that the government took the student loans over. The the news certainly reported it, but it's not something that's going to stick out in your mind unless you're in that zone or you were in that zone then. Maybe if you had a kid who was going to college or you yourself were going to college or maybe one of your grandkids is going to college or someone in your close family, you didn't know that the government took it over. Now, remember, I I do remember it. It was Barack Obama and he was saying how uh, the big banks were so 
evil and complicit and they just wanted to take things from people and they were making too much money off those student loans and we needed to put need to nationalize it and put the government in charge of it because the government would make sure that people didn't actually turn a profit and the banks were like well if we can't earn a profit on the loans then we probably should let the government go ahead and take it over because banks are into making a profit right they have to keep the lights on. They have to be able to offer loans, et cetera, et cetera. And if you have problems with the U.S. banking system and how it's set up, you know, that's a whole nother conversation. But as far as the student loans are concerned, they did what they did and they were making a profit and people were being irresponsible and taking out too many loans. And some people weren't able to get loans because they were financially irresponsible. And so the government took it over under Obama. Now, here's Maxine Waters trying to blame the banking industry for the fact that so many people are taking out loans they can't afford. Now, I can tell you right now, from my experience with our kids, we have kids who are college-aged. They offer you a loan for the whole amount. They don't say, here's what you can afford. They just say, how much do you make? How many kids do you have? And if the wife doesn't work, they assume that she works because you're there. The whole idea of having a stay at home mom, that's foreign to the government when it comes to the FAFSA. You submit that. And then what they do is that the FAFSA determines how much aid money you can get. If you can get work study, et cetera. But if you're successful, if you're above the, the median and I mean, you know, may, maybe at more than, let's say, 25 percent above the median. I'm not sure where the cutoff is because they don't exactly tell you. But certain families qualify for aid and others do not. And if whether you qualify for aid or not, whatever the numbers are, if school costs, let's use round numbers, if school costs 50 a year, including uh, housing and, and, you know, dorm food, whatever, and they put the books in there and they put some expenses in there and they come up with this number and it's 50000 And let's say they gave you a scholarship for 10000 So you have $40,000 difference. Then they'll give you a... $5,500 loan from the federal government. That's a federal government subsidized loan, so the lowest possible interest rate. I don't know what the max is, but I'm using the 5500 because that's a number I've seen. And then they give you another opportunity to get loans, and that other one is one through the parents. The parents can borrow that money, and that amount is whatever the difference is. So if you're going to a school like Tulane for seventy grand a year, and you only got 10000 in aid, that leaves sixty for you to do something with, they'll let you borrow 60000 every single year you're going there. As long as you don't fail out the previous semester, as long as your grades are passable, meaning you have you know, A's, B's, and C's, you can keep borrowing that money. If it takes you five or six years to graduate, well, you do the math. They'll let you keep borrowing it. That is lunacy. It should be that if you say you're coming to the process and you want to go to Tulane and you're not bringing anything to the table, they're not going to loan you $60,000 a year to go there. The education isn't going to match up. You won't be able to earn $120,000 a year coming straight out of Tulane with a degree in you know, basket weaving or women's studies or African-American studies. But that's what's happening. So instead of Maxine Waters, who is another moron who sh who's elected by morons and should not be in that job, instead of her saying, you know, the thing that we have going on here is a lot of financial irresponsibility. And until we tackle that, big banks aren't really going to be responsible, especially since big banks aren't the ones underwriting these loans anymore since the government controls the student loan industry now. I mean, it, help me, any teenager... Any teenager who read one article about this topic could have given a better question and answer session than Maxine Waters did. She didn't even know what she was talking about. I'm going to keep bringing you these examples. In fact, 
We're going to go to the phones, uh, 866-963-2037, 866-963-2037. Here is uh, something we're going to talk about. Obviously, we're going to get to this Democrats and Republicans proposing this bill to force male athletes onto girls' teams. Um, but we're also going to talk about all the failure. Because I, I think yesterday we talked about the morons, idiots, nincompoops, uh, ne'er-do-wells, um, what other names did we have for these people? Halfwits, dolts. Oh yeah, we talked about them yesterday. And I'll keep giving you examples of people who shouldn't be there that are elected, that are there collecting those big fat checks and they don't know what they're talking about. But let's talk about some of the stuff that we've been promised by Democrats and sometimes by Republicans, um, stuff that does not work. Namely, I'm, I'm just going to go down a list of things that you know, we should be able to name times that government programs have accomplished their goal. And I know there at least have to be a few. But on the whole, government programs don't actually accomplish the things that they're set out to accomplish, which is why we should not implement tons of new government programs. But I, I, I digress. Let's go to the phones for a second. Um, Norman in Mississippi. Hey, Norman, thanks for calling the show. Hey, Stacy. Oh, hi, Pastor Norman. How you doing? Stacey, I'm good. I'm good. Stacey, did you just call some of our Congress folks, Nincompoop and Mora? Mm-hmm. I know you sure did. I meant it. I'm sorry. You have to pray for me, Pastor, because I might need an intervention. You need, I think we need to lay hands on you. You might need to. <laughs> no, I, I understand your frustration. Uh and and what I I, I heard you, the last the guest you had on, mm-hmm. and, and he was exactly right, and you, and you know it already, Stacey. I, s- I said he was right, that. Pastor Norman. I said he was right. Yeah, I did not disagree did. with him. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you you did say he was right, but it's it is. See, and you know, I, I called you about a year ago, and I told you that I thought the solution. To our political problems in America would be get rid of all of them and start. <laughs> yeah, you did say I, that. You said it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because I don't. It, they they all deal with us like we are no wrong, mm-hmm. like we're stupid. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, and the man was exactly right. You know, when one party's in uh, in control. Uh, they get blamed for everything. Mm-hmm. And, and he's right. He was right about the president. Normally, what the president does, he's the executive, so he has to execute and deal with what you give him. Mm-hmm. And these, neither, the Congress is, is not giving him anything to deal with. This yeah. president especially, especially, is a deal, he's a deal maker. And, mm. and I, I can guarantee you, the Democrats in this next election win the House and the Senate, that this president, I guarantee you, will get more done. He will he will be something like uh, President Clinton was for the Republicans. Everybody give President Clinton a lot of credit for what took place in those years, but those were really Republican ideas, but, but because he was the president and capitulated, he mm-hmm. got the credit. Oh, and I love that because he what he did was he played things to his advantage because he was he was not going to be popular and have a good legacy 
So he decided, you know what? These people are going to gridlock me and they're going to make me look terrible. So I'm going to work with them instead. I'm going to find things that we can agree on and we can agree on a booming economy because that makes me look good. And he worked with them where he could and where he couldn't work with them. He kind of said, look, we can't, you know, we, we can't work on that, but let's do some things we can do. And it was a brilliant strategy. But we don't see other presidents really doing that. I, I will give it to President Trump on the DACA thing. You remember, Norman, he actually said, I'll give you all the DACA you want, all of the people you want to legalize, whatever you want to do with them, I'll give them to you, but you got to give me something on the border wall. And the Democrats wouldn't do it, which I think it was a fatal mistake for them because I think that's going to come back to bite them in the 2020 race. I think Trump's going to be able to say over and over again, I tried to give DACA recipients lawful remain in the country and the Democrats wouldn't give it to me and it's going to make them look bad, but they just wouldn't. It goes back to what the previous guest said. Brandon Darby said they don't any of them want to fix it. And that's proof that at least the Democrats don't want to. And the proof for the Republican side is that they were in control for two years and they didn't do anything. So, I mean, just I thank you. Thank you, uh, Pastor Norman, for calling in. Uh, I, I love it when you call and then we get to laugh and agree on some stuff. So that's awesome. Uh, let's go to Erica in Texas. Erica, thank you for calling the show. Hi, Stacey. I really enjoy listening to your show. I just have a comment about um, immigration. Sure. Um, I am. I live in Texas, of course, um, but um, I'm just really fed up with um, what you know everything that's going on. Um, I'm also Hispanic. Um, you know, I, I I love my race. You know, but I'm an American, and I have four kids that I need to protect. Me and my husband. You know, we try to protect these kids. You know, and I just think you know. Uh, a lot of Hispanics are afraid, you know, to, I guess, go against your own race, you know, but we need to stand up. We need to support our governor, you know, our senators, you know, so this wall can be built because honestly, I'm afraid, you know, that these people are going to come in, you know, to do harm. I understand that um, they want someone a better life, but not everybody thinks that way. And so do Americans, you know, we want a better life as well, but we have to, um, I think we need to protect our border because it's really scary. And, you know, I, I get afraid for my kids. You know, they're young. You know, I have teenagers. I don't want, you know, um, you don't want anything to happen to them. Yeah, exactly. And then I have two younger ones. You're in a really tough situation, Erica, because this, this has occurred to me, especially when we were in California a couple of weeks ago and there were people there who were Hispanic and they were serving, you know, Latin Latinas and Latinos and they were serving and everything. And there were a couple of times mm-hmm. I caught them, like just their faces while they were working. I almost felt like they, they're they wondering if other people are wondering about their status, right? They're, they they didn't yeah. look like they trusted the people who were in line. And yeah. the people in line didn't really seem to me like they were looking at them askance. But I just got this feeling like, you know, sometimes we women can feel stuff. It's like you just feel like your friend is upset or you feel like someone's not quite right. Mm-hmm. They're, they're upset. I felt like that. Yeah. And it was more than once I felt like that. One of our Uber drivers was Latino and he was awesome. Oh my goodness. He'd been in California for 20 years. He named off every place we should go. He knew the, the Anaheim area plus the surrounding area, like the back of his hand. And he was just so entertaining. And we were talking with him and he was talking about how much he loved California and how he'd lived there for 20 years. And it never occurred to me that he might not be in the country legally. But again, if what this does is it makes everybody, it paints everyone in a bad light. It's the same way black people feel about gang violence and the way the inner cities are, are you know, they're so economically depressed. It, it paints blacks on the whole in a bad light. 
for some people, you feel that pressure. And I feel like that's what happens to you and your kids, but it's not your fault because this other people doing this, but it gets, the blame gets spread out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just think, you know, we, you know, we shouldn't be afraid, you know, this is, it's not, you know, a race thing because honestly, if a gang member comes in here, he's not going to die for me, you know, so I'm going to protect my kids. And I think we should protect our borders, you know, not just from Hispanics, from others, you know, so yeah. I, just, I just think, you know, we need to stop being afraid, you know, and, and stand up for what's right. You're right. You are absolutely right. Um, thank you for calling. Thank, and thanks for listening. I appreciate you calling in today. Uh, I just, it's just such a horrible situation. We have time for one more quick call. Um, Judy in Tennessee. Hey, Judy. Thanks for calling. Hi. Hi. Hi, Stacy. I've hey, been love. listening to you for about a month or so. Oh, and, um, <laughs> thanks for tuning I in. Was, yeah, I found it by accident. Um, but uh, the guy, Garby or Barbie, whatever his name was, Oh, Brandon Darby. It was so true what he was saying. It was so true what he was saying. Uh, The two years uh, of uh, Trump. And I blame Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell. Because Trump went to them many times saying, I want something done about the border. And they kept saying, don't worry. You do this and we'll take care of it. You do this and we'll take care of it. And they, and Paul Ryan is nothing but a moron. <laughs> he has a wall around his house that's pretty tall, too. He really drives me nuts because back when he was uh, the budget guy, I really liked and supported him. And now he's just turned out to be old border flake, which is no good for me. Um, no good. No good. All right. Thank you so much for being with us today. If you're sticking around, One News Now, News and Information it's coming up next. It's onenewsnow.com. Check it out. Uh, we have enjoyed you. It's been so good to be with you. Uh, good evening from the heartland. If you're sticking around, there'll be more Stacy on the right. In, in any case, thanks for making your home at American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk.